Hey everybody, this is Stuart. I am here with a disclaimer because I haven't disclaimed in, I don't know, two episodes, four episodes, whatever. Disclaimer, here it is. Uh, if you notice, today's date is July 20th, assuming I get this out on time, not the first Monday of the month. Uh, that is because we're having a minor scheduling change with Teach Me About the Great Lakes, and that change is basically good news. We are going to continue to put out a great episode of Teach Me About the Great Lakes on the first Monday of every month. But now we're also going to try to periodically, not every month, maybe not even most months, but at least some months, also put out an episode on the third Monday of the month. And so if my math is correct, uh, July 20th is the third Monday of the month. And so we have a really fun episode scheduled for you. And I hope you enjoy it. As always, thanks for listening. And we will see you every first Monday and some third Mondays of the month. Thanks. Bye. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Ciao. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, an exactly monthly podcast in which I get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton. I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I don't know much about the Great Lakes, but I do know this. I am really, really lucky this month to be joined by Megan Gunn, one of the newest Illinois Indiana Sea Grant employees. Megan, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Stuart? I am great. We're so glad to have you aboard uh, for numerous reasons. But the, the main reason, I'll be honest, is because you have a bit of diving experience, don't you? I do have some diving experience. And it's been a journey over these last 10 years. <laughs> uh, well, I can't wait to dive into your journey. Um, <laughs> but the reason that's so relevant this time is because we have a couple of folks who have dived, dove, divin. We have some folks on who have duveted across the Great Lakes, and my understanding is they do this thing called like a Big Five Dive that I'm really curious to hear a little bit about. Um, but before we do, let's uh, do a little bit of theme music, and we'll go from there. Okay, our guests today are uh, Megan Goss and Stephanie Gondula. Uh, Megan works with Michigan Sea Grant, where she's an extension educator somewhere in the Thumb region, I believe Saginaw Bay. And uh, Stephanie, you are a marine archaeologist, is that right? That is right. At Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary. Now, before we even get into diving and the Big Five dive and everything like that, I want to talk about this for a minute because that is the coolest sounding thing I've ever heard both in terms of job title and in terms of the sanctuary. So let's start with that. What is a marine archaeologist exactly? Well, it's one of my favorite questions uh, because a marine archaeologist goes by many names. Um, we are also known as underwater archaeologists, maritime archaeologists, and I would say maritime might be my favorite and the most fitting um, because what we study is anything and all things made by humans that are connected to the water. And as we all know, living and working here in the Great Lakes, all things really are connected to the water. So what we focus on are um, the, the, what we call the maritime landscape. So that's lighthouses, that's historic fishing uh, villages. Primarily though, for me working in NOAA's Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, it's shipwrecks. We have hundreds and hundreds of shipwrecks. Really? I had no idea. So maritime archaeologists you prefer over marine archaeologists. Let me write this down because I'll forget. I really go all over that. You know, it depends where I'm at. It depends on my mood. Because <laughs> marine, as we know, marine generally refers to the ocean yeah. ecosystems. Um, so I could be a lacustrine archaeologist as well, uh, being in the lakes. Um, so 
underwater actually probably now that I'm changing my mind as we're speaking here, because I said I prefer maritime. <laughs> I'm switching mid-sentence. Now I like underwater because I think it, that's the most accessible. People know as soon as you say underwater, they can visualize, yeah. hey, that person's working underwater, studying a shipwreck, even studying a submerged um, you know, lighthouse base right. or something. So and so as an archaeologist, does like your bullwhip work underwater? Do you have to use something different? Absolutely. I've tried that underwater. It works. And the hat is perfect yeah. underwater. <laughs> <laughs> got Just got to be made out of wool so it keeps you warm. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, Thunder Bay, where is where is that exactly? Thunder Bay is uh, nestled in the northwest corner of Lake Huron. Okay. So we're based, our headquarters is based in Alpena, Michigan, which is in the northern part of the lower peninsula of Michigan. Okay. And so um, we're about four and a half hours north of Detroit. And the Marine Sanctuary is part of, is part of NOAA. So we're all colleagues here, right? Sea Grant, right. National Marine Sanctuary System. Um, and there are actually 14 National Marine Sanctuaries across the entire U.S. We're really? very, yeah, 14, um, all the way from the, the West Coast um, to the East Coast, from Stellwagen Bank, Massachusetts, to the Florida Keys. There's even one uh, south of the equator uh, in American Samoa. Uh, but in Thunder Bay, we're really excited to be the, the only freshwater National Marine yeah. Sanctuary but we're the only one for probably just a little bit longer because um, Thunder Bay has inspired grassroots efforts for other National Marine Sanctuaries across the Great Lakes. So stay tuned for one pretty soon uh, coming up in Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan. Oh, I'm very staying tuned for that. That's very exciting. Uh, quick update for our viewers. Our, our other guest, Megan Goss, is having some technical difficulties, so she's going to be jumping in in a second. I don't want you to think I'm unbelievably rude and have been ignoring her. I may or may not be unbelievably rude, but I'm not ignoring her. So so shipwrecks. So the, so up there, and in, in there's a lot of um, ship traffic, I guess. Are these like old shipwrecks, like pirate ship type things, or, or is it newer? So we... the. The shipwrecks that we study, the shipwrecks that are in Thunder Bay, and keep in mind, uh, there are probably anywhere from 6,000 to over 10,000 shipwrecks in all the Great Lakes. What? What? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it's it's always been a very busy waterway. Um, that's the, the easiest, most efficient way to transport goods, which is what humans have done since the beginning of time. They want to move things from one place to another. So you might use a, a birch bark canoe, a dugout canoe. Um, and today we use huge, huge freighters that we see work in the Great Lakes. Uh, so it's always been a, a natural highway. And where we are in the Great Lakes, if you, if you look at a map of the Great Lakes, Thunder Bay and Alpena is smack dab in the middle. So just like you said, it's it's kind of an intersection of high traffic. So many of the shipwrecks that are in Thunder Bay are the victim of collision. So just, you know, wow. interstate, you got two wooden schooners scooting along, um, one going up, one going down. It's foggy, crash, and then are at the bottom of the lake and now are an amazing dive site. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't either. That's a... Uh... So I was driving, I've been to the Upper Peninsula twice, I think, once or twice. And so to the one time we drove on that bridge, the Mighty Mac, is that what it is? Big Mac? What's? Yeah, call it all those things at the Mackinac Bridge. Mackinac um, Bridge. I wish I, I should have known when it was finally completed, or 1954, I think. Ah. So that connects the Lower Peninsula to the Upper Peninsula. Okay. And you've, you've got... Um, on the if you're if you're looking north and heading north over the bridge, if you look to the to the right, you've got Lake Huron. If you look to the left, you've got Lake Michigan. Yeah. But they're truly 
really yeah, one big lake. Here's my question. I, I used to live in St. Pete, Florida, uh, which has a huge bridge called the Sunshine Skyway. But this is the second Sunshine Skyway because a, a big boat hit it. Um, a barge did. Uh, I don't remember when. Quite some time ago. But now whenever I used to drive over the Sunshine Skyway, which is this huge – no, I don't know anything about bridges. It's a big suspension bridge or something. Uh, uh, I'm like paranoid. Like I see a, a barge and I'm like, oh, go, 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 go. Have, have, are there any shipwrecks like right by the Mighty Mac itself? Definitely, definitely. Now the bridge is super high. I think it's at least 150 feet above the water level. Yeah. Um, so I don't think any vessels are going to hit it, but they do go through it and under it all the time, yeah. huge freighters. And since that was you know, one of the main thoroughfares for ship traffic, there's some amazing shipwrecks in the Straits of Mackinac. Right. Um, most of those, however, are pretty darn deep, like anywhere from 80 to 200 feet plus deep. So that's where your your technical divers are going to be exploring. Okay. But what's cool about Thunder Bay is, and Megan uh, Gosman, when she joins us, can testify is a lot of the shipwrecks, many of the shipwrecks are accessible snorkeling or paddling. You can take a, a kayak really? out mm -hmm. and look down and the water's so crystal clear uh, because of the muscle invasive muscles. Uh, you can, you can see the, you can see the shipwrecks from the surface. It's amazing. Well, I know where my next vacation is going to be. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That water clarity is making a big difference on a uh, uh, last episode. Teach me about the great lakes uh, episode number 13, which you can of course access at teach me about the great lakes.com slash 13. We spoke with uh, Brian Roth, who is a, a, a fish guy, but we talked a little bit about how clean the water is thanks to the, the mussels, and, and some might even argue too clean, but one nice benefit of that is it makes for good diving. So, so, what, is a, so what is the depth at which you normally do your dive? I, I know nothing about diving. I've, I've snorkeled once, twice maybe, um, and, and, but I've never had a, a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus attached to me. And, and so what, uh, like, what are the depths at which you dive in the, in the Great Lakes? truly anything from well the the shallowest point to the deepest point and you guys know these things you know those points as well um the deepest point in lake huron is 750 feet um but you asked the the deepest you know where i dive so most of my work is going to be between eight feet and uh 130 feet okay and are those impressive levels to die? I mean, of course it's impressive, but I mean, I mean, like, like, is that a challenge? Is the depth itself challenging at 130 or is it, or is it uh, kind of normal for divers? Oh, well, that's a great question. I guess. So if you, when you decide to take the, the um, step to become a certified diver, like, like Megan and Megan, uh, <laughs> your, your first step is certified to 60 feet. And that requires training and study and dives. Um, not a lot, a lot, but definitely it's a commitment. Um, and then the next uh, level up would be, or level down, we should say, would be uh, 130. Um, and then there's, you could just keep your training going and going uh, to deeper and deeper depths. Of course, that requires more technical training because there's more technology involved in getting regular old humans uh, to that pressure underwater. How many different certifications do you have? Oh gosh, I have, that's a great question. I have, and it, they're not all based on depth, right? So I'm a, a, a dive instructor. So I've, that's a certification. I'm a um, ice diver. I'm, that's um, cool. That It's very cool. <laughs> and cool. All right, I've already learned. I've spoken to divers like twice and their, 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 their love of diving puns is, is unlimited. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no, it's as deep as it can go. That was a bad one. I'll keep thinking. All right. Yeah, that was more of a shipwreck than a dive pun. Okay. 
Anyway, so you got that. <laughs> right. So I've got um, lots of different ones. Uh, for my job, I'm a, a NOAA scientific diver. So that's a, a kind of a branch off from, you know, your recreational type of diving. So that's where How you How do you learn. get that certification? <laughs> well, we actually just recently did a cool uh, webinar with the NOAA Dive Center. And that is based out in Seattle, uh, Washington. And they have a full, amazing campus there where you, where NOAA scientists go and learn how to, if they don't already know how to scuba dive, they learn how to scuba dive. If they already know, then they just ramp up their training and learn how to collect data underwater, um, how to be safe while doing science underwater. Because when you first start out as a diver, you're you're focused as you should be on, Mm -hmm. on the act of diving and making sure you're doing all those things right. And, and your gears, um, configured, right. So when you add another level of, Oh, let's say we're going to document a shipwreck or we're going to collect invasive mussels, or we're going to, um, you know, measure, uh, fish biohabitat. There we get into betraying my lack of biological knowledge there. <laughs> we archaeologists call it bio clutter. You're going to go measure some bio clutter underwater. Um, you're adding, you're adding tasks that mm-hmm. you, know, so you don't want to, you, you need the training so you can do that comfortably and safely. That makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> Megan Gunn just started with us and she's already plotting her next job. I think. <laughs> Just, just adding it on. Right. So, Megan, you're you're a diver as well, Megan. Right? I am. I've been diving. I got certified in. I guess I did my open water dives in 2010. Oh, great! And I started my certification process in 2009, back when Purdue had a scuba club. Um, oh. That was the last year that they were actually actually active. But their their goal was to get students certified and then also um, get them doing a lot of dives. And at that point in my life, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And I was like, I'm going to need to do this for my career. So why not get certified now when it's a little bit cheaper? Because we're, we're students and mm-hmm. it was definitely worth it. So where have, you, where have you dove? A lot in the Wabash River. Okay. Um, I've, done, I've done a lot of scientific diving, um, I guess, in the sense of science, for science. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been diving down in Florida, um, I teach a marine biology practicum course, so a hands-on marine Fun. science course. And every trip we go on down there, I go on some dives. I went on a fossil dive a few years ago, um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, so when, when you go on these trips, do you like uh, do you have to bring your own scuba stuff, or is it a rental kind of thing? I bring my own wetsuit, mask, snorkel, because, um, you know, germs. Yeah. So I, like, I, I bring... I bring these challenging my, times. Yeah. <laughs> my, my personal items, but they're like... I'll usually rent a a scuba tank because okay. it's it's a little it's a little weighty to little be weighty. carrying around. So that's interesting. But Megan, you have left out your coolest and most important dive that you have done, and that is you have rescued one of Illinois Indiana Sea Grant's famous uh, yellow buoys. Oh. Yes, we w- we went on a save the bu- <laughs> save the buoy expedition a few years ago, and I was looking up the dates because I thought I was like maybe. A couple of years ago, it was in 2016 and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Um, but I can tell you the story if you want to know the story. Yeah, let's it hear was it. Insane. Okay. So I've been working with Jay Bagley, who is, he's, he's the buoy guy. So he, he, he retrieves the buoy. He deploys the buoys to work on maintenance. Um, I've been working with him since 2009. So he's like, he's like my work bestie. And he, he knows that I get really seasick when I when I'm on the waves and so 
he never asked me to do anything on Lake Michigan. And when he asked me to go out with him this trip, I knew that like I was his last resort. So I was like, okay, I'll go. It's fine. Um, and so we we got everything together and we're headed up there. It took my Dramamine that morning. And it was a couple hour drive. And we got out to where we were going to go. And there were two other divers on the boat. And I was going to be the last one to go in. So I'm, I'm waiting for them to go down. And I really don't know what was happening. I was just trying to keep myself level. Um, and I was like, listen, Jay, don't worry. But I'm about to puke. And so I like, <laughs> went, went over to the side of the boat. I hurled and was like, okay, suit me up. And he was like, I think you should probably sit this. I was like, no, this is your third trip up here. You don't want to have to make another four or five hour trip just to get up here. I'm, I'm going to go down. Um, and it turns out there's signs everywhere that says, don't fish around here. Don't like, don't play around the buoy. And somebody used some kind of fishing line. It was, it was made out of metal and it was just wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped around the bottom of the, mm. the buoy. And so when they went to unhook it, they couldn't unhook it. So I went down there. Um, it was, it was three of us still, but there were, there were some issues with the other divers. So I was just kind of unhooking and, and cutting through all this line to, to free the buoy and, we got it out. <laughs> so it we have so we have some trip. video. I think we I think we included it as a link once. I'll I'll put it again in the show notes uh, for this episode, which you can find at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash fourteen one four. But so you're down there, and that's post having uh, hurled, I guess. Yes. As you, as you put it. <laughs> and it was it was it was so clear. I've never been on a dive that was like it was so clear, but there was nothing. I, I didn't see any fish. You couldn't mm. see any debris it was just it felt like I could see for miles um, mm. which probably wasn't that far in back in like in reality but it was so cool it was so cool. and it was it was cold and so I, I had on like 10 millimeters worth of wetsuit I had on a hood um, I'm in a usually when, when we're diving in the Wabash it's not yes. that cold so I just go in with my swimsuit and a t-shirt or something um, but it, it was cold <laughs> Is, is that just a deal? Like the cold, is it, is it ever warm diving in the Great Lakes or is it just, cause you know, I'm, I'm from the South. And so I think of like these tropical, uh, you know, Gulf of Mexico or Caribbean locations or, uh, semi-tropical. Anyway, the point is I think of warm, uh, <laughs> and, uh, is that not the case? Is there no warm diving in the Great Lakes? I will say it's always, it's, it's relative really. You know, we like to say. That means cold. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, we like to say there's no such thing as cold water, only inappropriate exposure protection, right? But um, it, you know, I was in Lake Huron about, I was snorkeling around, so only went about 15 feet deep and it was 63 degrees. It was pretty warm. Um, so that's not so bad. But, you know, when you go a little bit deeper, it doesn't take long. I, I dove down to that 15 foot level. And as soon as you, you feel the thermocline, right. Where the, the water changes temperature and um, it, it can hit you like a, like a brick wall. So it gets pretty cold, pretty fast. Uh, but the, the water can be pretty warm. Hmm. I don't believe you. Uh, <laughs> it's, okay. it's all re- You're exactly right. It's all, it's all relative. I was thinking about that. Okay. Well, uh, we're glad now that Megan is hopefully fought through Megan Goss. We have too many Megan G's on the show. Um, now that Megan <laughs> Goss has, has come on, uh, Megan, hello. Tell us a little bit about uh, you, where you work and when you got started diving. 
Yes. Hello, Stuart. And hello, the other Megan. Um, <laughs> so I uh, also work for the Sea Grant program, but I work for the Michigan Sea Grant program. So I serve as a Sea Grant extension educator out of the Saginaw Bay region of Michigan, uh, which is um, the largest watershed in Michigan. If you didn't know that, there's over 7,000 miles of rivers and streams in the Saginaw <laughs> Bay watershed. Uh, but I, so I serve, uh, in the Saginaw Bay region, helping connect communities to resources, um, to enhance their sustainable development and connection with the Great Lakes. And I do a lot of work around community resilience, place-based education, and, um, also do some sustainable fisheries work. Uh, so doing what I can to help Saginaw Bay. And I got into diving, uh, through Stephanie, um, when I used to work for the Northeast Michigan Great Lakes Stewardship Initiative and was housed out of Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary in Alpena, Michigan back in 2015. Excellent. So you've been diving for about five years now then. So are you mm -hmm. certified? So I'm learning about all these certifications and Stephanie was listing hers. And then I think I cut her off to make a stupid joke. So I apologize for that. <laughs> um, so do you have like numerous dive certifications as well? Or is it just like a, are you a single cert kind of, kind of woman? I, I have a couple certifications, but I, I, I am very much on, I'm, I'm a baby diver baby as we diver. say. Uh, so I have, um, the Patty, uh, Dive, a PADI certification for recreational diving up to 60 feet. And then I have additional um, night diving certification, which is through uh, PADI as well. Huh. Have you been night diving in the Great Lakes? I have. And that was what we did as a part. That was part of our training for the big five dive. So um, I think three of our five dives. Oop. Is she frozen? Yep. She's leaving us in suspense. Um, I'm <laughs> That's okay. That is suspenseful. <laughs> yes. Three of our five somethings. I assume five dives. So she's actually going to start talking about it. I think she wants to uh, uh, talk about this idea of the big five dive. Yeah. Uh, so I had not heard about this until we were talking Me to Megan Goss um, uh, a few months ago about something. And I think if you do a big five dive, you just kind of tend to bring it up in conversation. It's like being a <laughs> vegan or into CrossFit or whatever. You just sort of mention it. Uh, and so... I think you're right. That's hilarious yeah. comparison. I love it. <laughs> so, so Stephanie, tell me about the Big Five Dive. Yeah. So um, the Big Five Dive was a concept to scuba dive all five Great Lakes in less than 24 hours. Wow. Uh, yeah. So as you guys know, that's a vast, vast area to cover. It uh, doesn't matter what you're doing. And and we've, we've known people, um, colleagues that my, the person who certified me as a dive instructor has been doing it with his dive club um, every other year since the early 90s. And uh, people do these challenges. People like these themed challenges, right? So we've, we know folks that have sailed all five of the Great Lakes, who have um, snorkeled, who have drove, of course. Um, and so just it was just another way to, to connect communities to what we were doing and really like Megan Goss was talking about her job, her main job is, and your guys, your main job in Sea Grant offices is to connect people to the resources. And we thought that would be a pretty compelling way. That's fascinating. And so I'm really, I, the logistics of this kind of blow my mind. How long do you have? So for it to count as a big five dive, there's gotta be some minimum standard for like wetness, right? Like, so you can't dip a toe. <laughs> right. Like, is there some depth you have to get? Or is it once you're submerged, if you take one puff from your uh, scuba unit, uh, then it counts. So we came up with the, uh, you know, it's up to the individual group doing it. You know, we're, there's okay. no big five dive, uh, official, uh, 
official, right? That's making sure you, you check off the list. So we just designed our own um, protocols and what we decided, and people do different, different things. Um, some folks like to do it under cover of night. Some folks like to do it with lots of publicity and, and involve the communities. So our rules were, uh, you had to, the di- scuba dive, the dive itself had to be 10 minutes. And um, that was pretty much it. We really didn't have much. And some people ended up snorkeling part of part of it, which is fine. I mean, snorkeling isn't scuba diving, but it is a type of you know, diving into the water. And we had a big group of people. So um, that, you know, it, it really ran the gamut. We were pretty flexible. We did limit it to shore dives because of uh, just it takes time to get in a boat and, and trailer a boat and all that. So to keep it even more simple, we just did shore dives. That's what's cool about diving in the Great Lakes is there's like I said before, so many shipwrecks that are that accessible uh, that you can just hop in and, and snorkel. Um, and so you, so you do and, a shore dive or a 10 minute dive and then you drive on to the next great lake. Like, yeah. so how many of the 24 hours, how many hours, like what's the quickest you can do a reasonable big five dive in, do you think? Well, our, we had some other colleagues uh, at the sanctuary that did it f- way quicker than we did. Uh, they did it in, I think, 16 and a half hours. We did it in 22 and a half hours. Wow. So we were cutting it kind of close. That's why Megan, when she left us, she um, was going to say three of our five dives were at night when only two of them were supposed to be. Um, but since the, the very last one ended up being a night oh, right. dive when it, you hit so night from both ends, didn't you? <laughs> we did. We did. We started at midnight and ended at 10 30 at night. We were on the shores in Lake Superior when the, the clock struck midnight jumped in. That's so cool. That is, that is, this just occurred to me. Is there like a slogan for the, are y'all looking for a slogan? Yes, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always. The big five dive. It's a BFD. I think that's a. Oh, I, that's brilliant. I like that. <laughs> anyway, so, so, all right. So you're ready to dive in. And, and is there like yeah. a place to log this? I, I want to go to a website and see all the people who have done this. Is there one or. or is that there, would be so cool. Yeah. That would be cool. We should have started one. Um, a lot of people are kind of protective of their sites. We are the opposite, and I we have a good friend who's a documentarian, a filmmaker, award-winning filmmaker, and she made a movie about ours, <laughs> our adventure. <laughs> so um, it's nice to have those kinds of friends, right? And in fact, her film, The Big Five Dive, traveled to 19 different film festivals what? Uh, around the U.S., won some awards. Um, That's so, awesome. Yeah, and it's a short film. It's only 28 minutes long. Uh, we can definitely send you the link to that because it's a it's – now that it's done the film fest circuit, it's available for everybody to watch online. Um, but others, you know, yeah, we had a hard time researching different sites to go to. I mean, we knew the ones in our area, but that's only Lake Huron. Um, so that's one out of five. So we had to. Cause you don't uh, want to just like get it. You don't want to just do it. You want to do it right. Right. You want to see something cool mm-hmm, in each right. leg. Yeah. Well, that, Oh, sorry. That was another goal. We definitely wanted to uh, visit a historic site. Okay. And so visit a dive, a shipwreck. Right. So that made it definitely the logistics more complicated because even though there are thousands and thousands of shipwrecks, you're not just going to stroll in and happen buy one. You do have to know where where they are. So that yep. involved talking to the communities a lot. Um, and our final, mm-hmm. your goal was to dive a shipwreck that was close to the shore, yeah, so that you could shore dive. How many of those are there? At least five, right? <laughs> At least five, except for our last one uh, in Lake Ontario, which. I mean, because each of the lakes are different, of course. And our, our last one was 
uh, an historic hotel dock. So we couldn't easily, if we kept going, we probably could have found something in Lake Ontario, but we couldn't easily find a shallow shipwreck site that was on the American side because we didn't want to be held up in customs or anything, even though Canadian diving is beautiful. Um, So we we ended up doing the historic hotel dock, which is awesome uh, off the shores of Lake Ontario there. But the rest were definitely shipwrecks. And you asked how many. And I will say, I know Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary best. And we have probably a dozen shipwrecks that that I could point you to right now. If you're up in Alpena, that you could go and spend the afternoon exploring, uh, uh, you know, an 1877 wooden schooner or um, a 1905 uh, big wooden freighter, which only about 15 feet deep off the shores of wow it's it's one of my favorite shallow dive sites and it's it's actually featured in the big five dive that was our stop because it's such a pretty landscape there there's the big beautiful lighthouse um there's a a freighter wheelhouse on the beach um big sandy beach less beach now of course um but then the the shipwreck just out there and the, the marine sanctuary maintains a mooring buoy on the shipwreck so it's easy to find so you you swim out you paddle out tie your kayak up tie up your your stand-up paddleboard and explore the shipwreck. That is, and uh, yeah. If if you could, are, are these things where like their websites we can explore for shallow dive? Oh yeah, we'll definitely put some links to those in the show notes because yeah. you've got me interested in this, and I I'm concerned about the cold, but this still sounds pretty cool. Well, if Stuart, if you're concerned about the cold, we could keep you warm. There's uh, the Friends of the National Marine Sanctuary operate a glass bottom boat, and what? you could go out and see the shallow shipwrecks that way, and you don't even have to get wet. There Worry about being cold. I can just <laughs> drop my kids off the side and they can go. They don't care. Like there we you have go. this pool out back. We have one of these like kiddie pools. And we have an above ground pool, which I never thought I'd have because it's, uh, I'm from the city. Um, but we have an above ground <laughs> pool because that's what our income supports. And, and, but they come in and they have like blue lips, uh, and, and, but they don't care. So I am totally in for this, basically. Um, Let's see. And uh, Megan Goss is back, which is great. And uh, we apologize for technical difficulties she's been having. We're just going to have to have you back on, Megan. That's the uh, only solution here is that we'll have to be on twice, maybe three times. Uh, Well, hopefully by the third time, the internet will work. So, all right. You've convinced me. I'm all excited. Big Five Dive. Megan Goss, you did a Big Five Dive too. Is that right? Yes, I did. I participated in the Big Five Dive. Okay. And have you done one? Is this the thing where you try to do one every year? More than one? No, no, I did one. And I think that's enough. Okay. (laughs) But it was a lot of fun. um, And I definitely am open uh, to a lot more diving adventures. Okay. I just, I guess for me, uh, the big dive experience really uh, was telling for how much I need sleep and Uh how if I don't have sleep, I am not a nice person to be around. Okay. Good to know since we run in the same professional circles, how do I, so if I want to, if I want to get started diving, I'm going to do the glass bottom boat. Love it. Uh, did that in silver Springs, Florida. They have a glass bottom boat there where you can see like they have this really beautiful clear Springs and they filmed a James Bond movie there. So that's cool. Um, all right. And then I'm going to do some snorkeling uh, and I'll keep myself warm by the glass bottom boat. And maybe I, when you pee in your wetsuit, does that make it warmer or not? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. All right. I'll drink a lot <laughs> before then. And, uh, uh, um, but then I want to get into the actual scuba diving. What, what, how do, what do I even need to do? Where do I go? How long does it take? Like I, I'm fired up. I want to do it this summer. Is that even on the table or no? It is. And I'll, since Megan has not been, um, with us very long, I'll let her talk about her experience, but it absolutely is. We could get you certified in 
in a week, Stuart, if you're ready. Megan, you want to share all your experience doing it? Yeah. So I, um, like I shared earlier, I got certified up um, near Alpena. So I started diving on some inland lakes, which are definitely really cool and worth exploring. And we'll have to talk about inland lakes later and night diving with mud puppies. But uh, I uh, started diving in those inland lakes first. And that was really helpful before going out into the open water. And I guess what, so a couple of things I would say. So my first diving experience was also my first snorkeling experience. So I was very overwhelmed. Uh, so I would try to like go snorkeling first if you can, and then, um, <laughs> then try diving, uh, just so you're a little bit more adjusted. But, um, I'm originally from Southern Illinois. So when I moved up to Alpena, I was just blown away by the Great Lakes and I really wanted to explore, but was definitely taking the deep dive as opposed to just slowly going into the water. But um, what's nice when you get certified with a um, local agency, you can spread out your dive certification and your practices over the span of a longer period of time. If you're getting certified while on a vacation at like a resort, for instance, you're really confined to a shorter period of time. So for my um, certification, it was over a month of um, classes along with like dive experiences of going out both in the inland lakes and then also out into the open water in Lake Huron. And uh, we also had some uh, training materials through PADI and a certification test that you needed to take as well in order to be certified and make sure that you understand how you can be keep yourself safe as a diver and how you can help keep others safe because when you're diving you should always have a dive buddy with you so Stuart, i guess that's another thing you need to find your dive buddy it's really unlikely that anybody wants to be my buddy i'll go with you Stuart. (laughs) set that one up so people keep talking about this patty woman who is she haha no what is patty we've heard it mentioned a couple of times is this like a diving organization or yes it is um it's the professional association for dive instruction is that right yeah dive instructors yeah instructors yes okay and they have Go ahead. It's one of many um, dive certification um, groups. So there's also NAWI. Uh, Stephanie, you probably know more about these dive certification organizations than I do, considering you do this professionally. So maybe you should share. <laughs> yeah. So Patty is the world's largest certifying agency for scuba diving, uh, It's which is pretty cool because they've been doing it for decades and decades, and they really have the educational part of it down. Um, if you're PADI certified, you know you can go anywhere in the world, show your certification card, known as a C card, and they'll your it's recognized and um, it's it, PADI's pretty incredible that way. They have some great resources, and just circling back to the Big Five dive, th- that was part we didn't talk about the the why behind the Big Five Dive, which was to celebrate Patty Women's Dive Day, which is an annual uh, event to recognize uh, women in diving, you know, the women that are diving now that are doing it professionally, that are doing it recreationally, but also to inspire women to get into diving as for fun or for a career and head to the NOAA Dive Center like Megan Gunn is considering now, yeah. <laughs> because only 34% of divers are women uh, huh. currently. So, And so Women's Dive Day is coming up, is that right? Yes, it is. It's um, going to be here on the 18th of July. So it's usually on a Saturday of every month, or at, not every month, but every July. <laughs> So those of you who are, oh, uh, let me redo that. Well, we won't actually redo it, but also oh, that just happened two days ago, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we're, this episode will come out on the 20th of July. I believe. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. yeah. We, we had so much fun. Have either of you been on a dive on Women's Dive Day? So that was the big five dive. And okay. Yeah. And then okay. we did, um, just a couple days ago, we, we uh, had a big group of people scuba diving and snorkeling at the Joseph S. Fay, which is one of Megan Goss's favorite sites. Yeah, so that's a um, another uh, site you can explore from Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, and it is accessible by the shore. And then it also has, um, like, along the shoreline there, depending on the water levels that year, you may be able to see remnants of the the Fay, the Joseph S. Fay along the shoreline. And then there's also a lighthouse as well at the site. So it, it really can connect in on so many people. And that is a, a, a site that you can also snorkel on um, over the top. So, and depending on clarity, you can see down pretty well at the bottom because it's not very deep, is it, Stephanie? No, it's about 17 feet deep, 15 to 17, but it's massive. It's a huge wreck for being so shallow. It's like over 200 feet long wooden wreck um, sank in a storm in 1905. Oh, wow. So I I know I said that this is where my next vacation was going to be, but is there any special permits that we need to have to go and sample or is it just open to the public to go diving? In the Marine Sanctuary, it, as in the state of Michigan waters, it is uh, historic sites are open to visitors. Of course, there's state of Michigan laws that prohibit disrupting, disturbing, uh, removing anything from a historic site. That's but you're, fair. yep, you're welcome to visit them. In fact, we maintain mooring buoys on over 40 of the shipwreck sites, and that just, you know, lots of reasons to do that. It makes it easier to find because you see that mooring buoy floating on the water. You don't have to worry about too much about the coordinates to locate it. And it also protects the shipwreck site because you tie tie your dive boat up to the mooring buoy, tie your tie your kayak up, um, and then you don't have to drop anchor and potentially damage the shipwreck site. Oh, it didn't even occur to me. Of course, there's a lot of that consideration because these are beautiful historical artifacts, right? But a lot of times uh, there's probably just a whole cavalcade of laws uh, and best practices and things like that that you have to be thoughtful about. What about, speaking of it, we're actually recording this on uh, Canada Day, I am told, by uh, uh, highly placed sources within Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. And so, like, is there uh, considerations for, um, you know, when you get over into Canadian waters or something? Like, can you launch from the U.S. and then swim over to Canada to dive? Or is it, uh, I don't even know how that works in the Great Lakes. Well, you'd have to be one heck of a swimmer, by, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so... You can die. So there are different regulations for diving historic sites in Canada. Okay. Um, and it, it depends on the site, of course, because a lot of these sites are, are grave sites. Um, oh, and, right. Of course. And accessibility in different is different across states. Accessibility and restrictions to historic sites are different across states, across countries, across waters, all around the world. So it's always best to check in with local um, authorities. But there is an amazing... Uh, uh, national park across just across Lake Huron from Thunder Bay without like a, a sister sanctuary uh, fathom five national park where they have very similar uh, recreational opportunities for shipwreck explorers. Yeah. Cause these are treasures, right? That, that these are, I mean like at this point, ecological, but also historical and cultural treasures that are worth protecting um, over time and worth treating with, with care, but also it sounds like worth seeing. The water also acts kind of like a freshwater museum. I don't know if Stephanie shared that no, earlier. What do, what do you mean by that? 
So the fresh water helps to preserve these shipwrecks. So they, uh, with the exception of what we're seeing with the zebra and quagga mussels and their impacts on the shipwrecks. But overall, these the fresh water is really, it's helping to preserve these shipwrecks. So it kind of serves as like underwater museums. So it's really important to leave um, any artifacts at the sites because of that reason, because they're going to be better preserved at, in the lake than they would be on land. That's awesome. Interesting. Well, this is fascinating. I'm really actually excited. I, I, I'm not going to get dive certified this summer. I'll be honest. I've got three kids. Uh, but, but I think the idea of taking some sort of a boat tour or something like that or finding a way And this, this actually, we, we talked about this offline, but this is a fairly safe hobby, I think during a pandemic time, right. And that you can be relatively distant with each other and the virus isn't going to shoot through uh, the lake uh, at your dive buddy or whatever. So it, it seems like a, a hobby for our times. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes. Uh, the reason we invited you here is to ask you the following two questions, which I think are uh, more interesting and important than diving. Uh, first is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would you choose? Sandwich. sandwich. And it would be a muffaletta for sure. Whoa. I really want to make one right now. Wait so. a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now you're getting into my neck of the woods. Where do you have a good muffaletta? I don't have any good ones near me, but every time I go down to New Orleans, that's yeah, like yeah. the first thing I get well, is a central grocery. Oh, very good. Well, this is the, already the greatest episode of this podcast in its <laughs> brief history. Stephanie, what what is a muffaletta? Oh, that's Ooh. a New Orleans style sandwich. It's really salty and uh, it's a classic. Um, I don't even know all the ingredients because I've never meat, one. meat it's, and olives and meat and olives. Yeah, and cheese. exactly. It's kind of like <laughs> green an Italian olive, sandwich though. with like capers and green, green olives. olives and you know just just everything on there. Um, and it depends on where you get it. Uh, but it's got salami and you know all that. Yeah, it's an Italian sandwich, New Orleans style, essentially. Yeah. So uh, Megan Goss is obviously just kissing up to try to get another appearance, and that's fine. It's not even that hard to get appearances, uh, but but you're welcome to one. So Stephanie, I'm sorry, you had a second best answer to this question. Yes, second best answer. Well, first, I will say, even though I'm from Montana, I make a really mean muffaletta sandwich. Look at this. Yep, it's true. I've never made you one, Megan, but I'll have to because... Uh, we would have parties on Mardi Gras and, you know, years ago, we'd, but, and, and make good muffaletta sandwiches. So those are tasty. And I agree. My, I would have the same answer. I, I definitely would prefer a, a savory, tasty sandwich instead of a donut, but I, I can't choose this. Oh, I wonder how about a croque monsieur? I think that's oh, what I would choose. There we go. A croque not a croque madame. <laughs> no croque monsieur. Cause that has the egg, right? Croque Monsieur has, no, Croque Madame, I believe, has the egg. I think Croque Monsieur. <laughs> and oh, can I say my favorite joke, Stuart? You can, but I love the accents as you're debating these various sandwiches. I can tell you all they're close to Canada. Why do the French only eat one egg? Why do the French only eat oh! one egg? I won't answer. Sorry, mate. <laughs> because it's enough. Okay. Enough? Yeah, no, I got you. I an egg. 15 years of French. Yeah. <laughs> Sacre so since bleu. she told the joke, can I tell a shipwreck joke then? You can. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart's like, why do I have these people What has happened? My show? Oh, technical difficulties again. What are the odds? No, let's hear your shipwreck joke. Okay, what lies at the bottom of the lake and shakes? I, I don't know. A nervous wreck. A nervous wreck. <laughs> 
I'm hesitant to go on to this next question because I'm starting to wonder the merit of it. But the next thing we like to do is we like to leave our listeners with a little bit of life advice, something they can take home. It could be serious, it could be silly, it could be big, it could be little. Somebody quoted uh, RuPaul, somebody, uh, uh, you know, gave the same advice they give to their graduate students. It can, whatever. Uh, what is one little bit of life advice that you have for our listeners? Other than don't eat healthy sandwiches seems to be your... Uh, <laughs> That's good advice. Life's too short for healthy sandwiches. <laughs> I guess um, one life advice I have is that little acts add up over time. So when I think about um, Great Lakes stewardship and Great Lakes literacy, there's a lot of ways that we can help to protect the Great Lakes. And little acts do add up. So thinking about refusing to single use um, when you can, avoiding single-use plastics like uh, straws, plastic bags, single-use plastic water bottles. Each one can add up, and by refusing to single use, you can really help to better protect the Great Lakes. I like that. That's really good, Megan. How am I supposed to follow that up? Mm, you, you followed the last one pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I should have. Fortune favors well, the bold. Yeah. I'll, I'll connect to that, and I would say take the plunge, you know, and whether it's in deciding to get certified, you know, it, if you're thinking about it, don't. Don't consider it too long. If you're if you're interested in doing it, just take the plunge, dive right in. If you're worried about the Great Lakes and protecting the Great Lakes, take the plunge and do something today. Even those little acts that that Megan Goss is talking about, and it it definitely will make a difference. That is actually really really wonderful advice. Um, well, thank you so much to uh, Stephanie Gondula and uh, Megan Goss for teaching us so much about the Great Lakes. Before we go, do you have like a social media or a website or something like that where people may want to uh, follow you or something along those lines? I would say definitely check out thunderbay.noa. So that's N-O-A-A dot gov. Uh, and that's where you can see a really cool interactive shipwreck map. Um, talking to Megan and Stuart, you guys can go see the shipwrecks that you want to visit. And um, yeah. that's where you can learn how to come visit me in Alpena and, and learn more about our, our the rich history of the Great Lakes. And I'd recommend visiting michigansegrant.org. We're also active on social media, thinking of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But we have a Upwellings email list, so you can sign up for our newsletter where we share updates about different programs that we are offering. Wonderful. And we'll put links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, Megan and Stephanie, thank you so much for teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Thank you. Well, that was a fascinating discussion, Megan. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience with us uh, diving. And we're really glad to have you on board. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm really excited to see all the things that are going to happen in the coming years. Yeah, no, this is cool. And, and uh, yeah, I hope it, listeners, if you go out there, go look into getting dive. It does seem like there are low cost ways, low input ways, like just with snorkeling or glass bottom boats. I had no idea about these shipwrecks. So this is on my list now of things to have podcast. I mean, I, of course, right. There's so much shipping. Why wouldn't there be a shipwreck? But, but uh, it just, you know, this is the point of the podcast is to teach me things that are obvious to everybody else. And so I'm glad. I was on the note of shipwrecks. I was listening to a podcast the other day called Natural Disasters, where they were talking about the great storm in 1913 that hit all of the Great Lakes. And if, if you're interested in learning about some shipwrecks that happened in the Great Lakes, that is a good one. To, there were, it was a two-part episode. but Huh. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. No, I don't know about the Great Storm 1913. Well, so great about it. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> well, so uh, let's do our normal spiel. Megan, what did you learn about the Great Lakes today? 
I learned that there are a lot of shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. But she said between 6,000 and 10,000. I had no idea. But like you just said, it makes sense because it's it's a major shipping waterway. Yeah, right. Of course. And so, I mean, there's a lot out there to explore. I Yeah, I had never really thought of it, to tell you the truth. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot about the Big Five Dive. It's a BFD. And um, I thought that was interesting about the, the fresh water serving as like a preservative for these really important historical artifact, artifacts. Artifacts. And stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Where you should leave things where you find them, like Boy Scout. Yes, no, that is definitely true. Uh, take only photographs, leave only footprints, but you can't leave footprints because you're in the water and you're wearing uh, flippers anyway. So leave only uh, the warming glow of the urine that you kept to keep yourself. <laughs> and on, that is gross. On that note, Megan, is there somewhere that uh, people can go to follow you on social media or whatever? Yes, if you're on Twitter, follow me at underscore TFFP. And then if you're on Instagram, it is at the Familiar Faces Project. Okay, now hold on. We'll go briefly into this and we'll do more detail later. Tell me, what is TFFP, the Familiar Faces Project? So the Familiar Faces Project is a program designed to show students of color that there are people that look like them that are professionals in natural resources so that they have role models that... Um, that they can aspire to be essentially. Excellent. And this is really important work that you're doing. And uh, uh, we are thrilled to see where that goes and to see how, what we can do to help with that. And so I encourage everybody to go check that out. Um, uh, Cause it's really important. Uh, it's as important as anything we do, frankly, at Sea Grant in, in many, many ways. Uh, great. And I encourage you to follow uh, our official program stuff at uh, ILIN Sea Grant for Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant. And um, you can follow the show on Twitter at, uh, what is it, Teach Great Lakes. If you have any questions for us, you can use the hashtag Ask Great Lakes. And uh, with that, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, tune in next time, and we will see you. If I can find the outro, there it is. In the meantime, keep grading those lakes. Awesome. Thank you, Megan. That was great. A little long.